Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. If we know a brother or sister who we see is you know, drifting into or, or out there and we go to them and we say, hey, you know, what are you doing? I mean, this is not right. This isn't good. And they say, I'm fine with the Lord. Don't judge me, brother. Don't worry about it. I'm good. We cannot say, oh, okay, you're good. Okay, praise the Lord. That's great. And we got to say, well, no, you're, you're not good. I love you. I want to see the best for you, but let's not pretend like it's all good because it's not all good. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, in a message titled, Everyday Discipleship and Church Discipline. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Satan has a heyday, so to speak, that will hopefully bring this person to their senses and to repentance so that their spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord. So this is a disciplinary act. Now, I want you to see this as well. Paul, notice what he says. He says, okay, you're going to do this. I'm not physically with you, but my spirit is going to be with you. And then he says, and the power of the Lord Jesus Paul sees church discipline as something that the Lord himself is doing through his people. So this isn't just a a human thing. This is not just, well, we decided this, and so we're going to do that. This is something that God himself has called us to do, and he's with us as we obey him in these difficult processes. So in a sense, it's like, so here's a person and they're unrepentant. They, they don't want to listen. And so it's like, okay, they want to play with the devil. Then so be it. You go out here and you, you play around in the devil's world. And let's see when the reality of what it is sinks in. Let's see what you think then. And the objective, though, of course, is that they would come running back to the church and say, oh, God, forgive me. I don't want to be part of that world. So it's it's a disciplinary thing, but it's a disciplinary thing for for protection, for protection of the body, for protection of the person. And so then Paul goes on and he says this. He says, your boasting is not good. And then he says Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, this is really interesting that Paul goes in this direction because Paul now introduces these two very Jewish things into his instruction here to a group of people that are not Jewish for the most part. There are some Jews in the congregation in Corinth, but the majority of the Corinthian Christians were Gentiles. So 
the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, unless they had been instructed about this, they wouldn't really know the significance of that. But this is a teaching moment. Paul is teaching them just as he would have drawn from Leviticus, like we saw a minute ago when he addresses the sin that was there among them. So now, once again, he's drawing from the scriptures. He's drawing from the law. And this is the point that he's making by by referencing the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. The point that he's making is that God requires purity among his people. You see, the Passover lamb that was brought to the priest for the sacrifice had to be spotless. It had to be pure. It could not have any blemish. It could not have any defect whatsoever. Why? Because that lamb was a representative of the Lamb of God who would come ultimately to take away the sin of the world, Jesus, who himself was sinless. So the Lamb had to be without blemish. So Christ is sinless. Now, unleavened bread, these two things went hand in hand. So the Passover began with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What happened then? All of the the homes within the community they were responsible to go into their homes and to purge all of the leaven out of the home. There could be no leaven in the home, and then they had to bake this bread, and the bread was without leaven. Why? Because leaven is a type of sin. You see, sin, like yeast, will permeate and corrupt the whole loaf, and therefore it must be eradicated. And so Paul draws on these two Jewish festivals, really, that emphasized purity through the the spotlessness of the lamb and the the lack of uh, leaven among the people to remind the Christians now, these Gentile Christians, that God has called them to live godly, righteous, and pure lives. And so he's, he's pointing to these things. He says, Christ, our Passover, he's been sacrificed for us. Listen, he's, he's really saying, listen, you're, you're part of something now that you were not part of before, formerly in your Gentile, your pagan life. In your pagan life, there was no emphasis on any kind of sexual purity. You have now entered into a new thing where purity is something that God calls his people to. So that's why he brings these two things into the picture. Now, he then, he goes on and he says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Just really quickly, here's a, Paul references a letter that we don't have. It'll come up again later, but just to say that right now. He references a letter that we don't have, telling them not to associate with sexually immoral people. And then he says, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the planet. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler, and so on, he says, do not even eat with such people. So what he's doing right here 
is he's bringing this teaching of the need for discipline. He's taking it now from the level of the church leadership that is responsible. That's who he's talking to initially. He's talking to the church leaders. They need to discipline the person in the church. Now he's bringing it down to the individual believers and showing that we individually, we also have a responsibility to maintain godliness, righteousness, and purity within our midst. And so one of the ways we do that is we do not associate with those, and get this, not those in the world who are involved in these things. We're not to disassociate from them because we are in the world to be a light to them, but who are we to disassociate with? We're to disassociate with those who claim to be in the faith but live in clear disobedience to God's command. Wow, that's heavy. This is heavy stuff that Paul is laying out here. Not to associate with the sexually immoral people with those who claim faith in Christ. Now, when Paul says not to associate with them, then he goes on and he says even more specifically, he says, do not even eat with them. Let's understand what he's saying here. He's not saying that you can't have any connection with the person. I think that the scripture itself teaches that we need to maintain as much as we can some connection even with these people, but for the purpose of hopefully spurring them back to where they need to be with the Lord. But here's the problem. If I am not acknowledging that they're even in sin. So when Paul says, don't eat with them, he's not saying don't go out for a cup of coffee like we would today or don't take them to breakfast so you can kind of follow up and see what God will do. Remember, in that culture, eating with them was, you were fully identifying with a person. You were embracing them in a way that basically said, hey, I'm good, you're good, it's cool, we're fine, no worries. Paul's saying, don't do that. In other words, you can't treat a person who's living in blatant rebellion to God as though they were not. That's what he's really addressing here. John, in his little letter, I think it's 3 John, he says something at the end of it that's it's really interesting. He, he talks about people who come with a different gospel, not the real gospel, and he talks about them even coming to your door. And, he's, and John says, do not let them in your house and do not say God bless you to them. It's like, wow, that's pretty heavy. What, what does he mean? He's saying the same thing. He's saying to them, listen, for those who have rejected Christ and his gospel, don't treat them as though they haven't. Don't embrace them as like, hey, we're all brothers and sisters. Don't worry about it. Oh, you don't believe that Jesus is God anymore? You don't believe that he was born of a virgin? Okay, that's cool, but we all still love the Lord. He's saying, don't do that. No, we have to take a stand on the truth. So that's his point. And, and individually, we have to take that responsibility among ourselves at times, not just depend on the church leaders to do it. But if we know a brother or sister who we see is 
you know, drifting into or, or out there and we go to them and we say, hey, you know, what are you doing? I mean, this is not right. This isn't good. And they say, yeah, I'm fine with the Lord. Don't judge me, brother. Don't worry about it. I'm good. We cannot say, oh, okay, you're good. Okay, praise the Lord. That's great. And we got to say, well, no, you're, you're not good. I love you. I, I want to see the best for you, but let's not pretend like it's all good because it's not all good. So, That's what he's dealing with here, taking individual responsibility. And then finally, he says this. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Paul is calling the church to keep our own house in order. You know, it's interesting. Many Christians today, this moment, are shouting and screaming and ranting and raving about all the evil, sinful, terrible things that people out in the world are doing and completely ignoring the evil, sinful, terrible things that are going on right in their midst. Did you notice that here in the text, Paul although the issue happened to be sexual immorality, so he's, that's where he more or less starts. But did you notice what other things he includes here? He includes greed. He includes idolatry. He speaks of those who slander and swindle. So how is it that we, we kind of tolerate all this stuff and yet we're shouting at the world, that they need to stop doing this and they need to quit living this way. Paul says, that's not your business. God will judge the world. God has called us to judge within our own midst. God has called us to make sure that we keep our own house in order. And so he says, expel the wicked person from among you. Now, that's what we have in the verses but let's, let's look at church discipline in the 21st century. As I said earlier, church discipline has always been a challenge. It's always been hard. And as a matter of fact, in the many years that I've been in ministry, I don't know with the exception of maybe one time that I was involved in a church discipline situation that looked very similar to what Paul is saying here. Most of the time, church discipline has been in a smaller context, more of a private type of a thing, but it has been dealt with. A lot of times, quite frankly, it's just overlooked because it's too messy. We, we don't want to do that. It's, it's just going to get really, really awkward and uncomfortable. So that is always the case with church discipline, but it's even more challenging today. And I think in our particular culture, it's very challenging. You know, it's, it's difficult to exercise church discipline because you try to ex- exercise discipline and somebody just says, well, heck with you, I'm going to go to that other church down there. They're not going to hold me <laughs> accountable on this. And that's exactly what people do. But there's another component that is becoming more a reality that adds to the challenge of church discipline. In some Western countries, 
it is being made illegal to speak against what the Bible calls sexual sin. And that is coming to America. I read this yesterday. Bishop-elect of the Evangelical Lutheran Mission Diocese of Finland has been charged by Finland's prosecutor general with incitement against a group of people. The charges stem from a 2004 booklet published which articulates historic Christian teaching on human sexuality. You know what the issue is here? It's same-sex relations. So because this 2004 book written by this particular person or, or quoted by him and supported by him put forth a, the historic biblical position on human sexuality which says that same-sex relations are outside of the will of God. The prosecutor general of the nation is coming after this bishop. This type of intolerance is what the Equality Act is aiming for here in the U.S. And although it says it's the Equality Act, it's really equality if you agree with us and we're going to stomp you to the ground if you don't. That's the truth behind it. So that's here in the U.S. Similar laws have been passed already in Canada and Australia. In Victoria, Australia, if a same-sex attracted person came to me and said, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know that I want to stay in this lifestyle. I feel like, you know, I'm feeling convicted or whatever. If I was a pastor in Victoria, Australia, I could not advise, counsel, or even pray for that person without breaking the law. That's happening in Canada. I mean, this is, this is where Western culture has gone and is going. So you can see that this makes church discipline very challenging, very, very difficult. Nevertheless, the church is called still at times to exercise church discipline. Now, let me just say this again. Not just over sins of a sexual nature, that's the context, as we've seen here, but also over other sins like those mentioned, greed, idolatry, slander, swindling, and, and so forth. So it's not, you know, the culture has a big obsession with sex, and the culture ends up always sort of accusing the church of being obsessed with sex. Like, like the only sin in the Bible is sex. <laughs> you know, no, there's plenty of sins. You know, it's interesting. Some, a few years ago, I was, reading through, um, I was reading through Leviticus 18, and I can't remember the number, but there's like 20, there's something like 24 prohibitions regarding sexual behavior in Leviticus 18, and out of the 24, one of them has to do with same-sex relations. So Maybe I'm not right with the number, but let's just say 23 of the prohibitions deal with opposite sex relationships. But again, the Bible has plenty to say about slander and about idolatry and about 
greed and, and those kinds of things. So, but again, this is the world we live in. So here's some questions that I want to address as we wind down here. When does a church practice this kind of discipline? When does a church practice this kind of discipline? And we'll call it formal church discipline. Formal church discipline, meaning the the elders, the leaders of the church, they have to deal in somewhat of a public fashion with this kind of sin. When, When the sin is outward, seen or heard, when it is serious, sin that would question somebody's identity with and devotion to Jesus and key, unrepentant. Unrepentant, the person involved has been confronted with God's command in scripture, but he or she refuses to let go of the sin. From all appearances, the person prizes their sin more than they prize Jesus. So this is an extreme case. That's why in all the years I've been in pastoral ministry, I haven't even experienced this very often. And on the same kind of level as Paul is describing here, maybe only one time. So this is reserved for very serious situation. I mean, sometimes this would happen in the context of a, even say a, a religious leader who is sinning. And that person has to be dealt with publicly because of their influence and so forth. So that is when, when it's outward, serious, and unrepentant. Now, here's another question. How is a person under church discipline to be interacted with by members of the church? So let's just say there is a person who's being disciplined by the church. There's a person who, you know, a particular congregation, the leadership, and so forth, have agreed that this person is in rebellion, this person is uh, spreading their rebellion and, and contaminating the church like, like a cancer. And so now we have got to deal with this person and put them out. How then do we interact with a person who's under that kind of church discipline? Well, first of all, we have to always act in love and humility with an eye toward repentance. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. Hi, Pastor Brian here. One of my favorite subjects is that of apologetics. And it's so important to know what we believe and to also know why we believe what we believe. So I want to recommend a fantastic book, a book by Paul E. Little, that is called Know Why You Believe. And this book's been around for quite a few years. And he does just a real great job in simply laying out arguments for why we believe in God, why we believe Jesus rose from the dead, why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And I think that this is something that every Christian ought to educate themselves in. So I want to recommend... Paul E. Little's book, 
Know Why You Believe. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. You can order the book Know Why You Believe by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th. And this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian... You and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. And it is the trip of a lifetime. So we'd love to have you join us. And if you're interested, we're going to have an informational meeting on Sunday, March 20th at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Or you can find out the details if you go online at israel.cccm.com. Yep. We hope you can join us. It's going to be great. It will be.